All right, good morning. Good morning. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jeff Pruitt, and uh, glad to be here this morning. My wife, Kristen, and I co-lead one of our small groups, our gospel communities, we call them, here at Element, and we just love uh, being part of this community. Uh, Aaron is on vacation this week. He was off last week, too, so this is a good break for him. This is hard work that he does every week. He makes it look easy, but um, it's not, so... It's good. He'll be back next week kicking off a new series, taking us through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, If you'd like to follow along with today's message, there are notes that look like this on the communion tables that are in each of the corners of the room. Uh, You can jump up and grab one if you'd like. It might make it easier to follow along. Uh, It has the passages we'll cover today and uh, a little bit of um, content to help you kind of track. And then on the back side, there are discussion questions, kind of um, reflection questions you can go through either in your gospel community or with a friend or someone or even on your own just in your quiet time to kind of apply what we talk about today. Um, And uh, if you forgot your Bible or uh, need one, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you don't have one, feel free to take one as our gift to you so you can have one of your own. Um, And then the last thing is if you have the YouVersion app on your phone, the Bible app, Uh, you can click on more and then events and pick element. Uh, The service will pop up in there um, and you can see the passages kind of as the same time we're going through them together. Um, Let's stand together and we will read our main passage, which is 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 8 through 11. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would be... um, in our midst this morning, that you would help us to hear from your word what you want um, us to learn, and pray you just slow us down and help us to be present and be um, available for you to be the one who teaches us and shapes us, help us to be changed by our time together in your word. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, if you haven't made the connection, my dad is Steve Pruitt, who preached last week. And when Aaron asked my dad and I to take back-to-back weeks preaching, um, I wanted to see if there was a way we could kind of um, sync our messages together that would be helpful for us as a church. And so I'm hoping that by building on the message from last week that my dad shared, um, we'll be better equipped and encouraged to serve one another If you missed last week, there's a video replay up on the website. You can catch that. And if you were here but you vaguely remember being here, can't exactly remember what we talked about, um, trust me, that's okay. I'm a preacher's kid, and I have forgotten a lot of his sermons. So, um, But I had his notes, so I'll give you a quick recap. Uh, Last week, we looked at how Jesus washed the disciples' feet, or feet, as an example to us. Um, It was an example to us in a couple different ways. Uh, Jesus showed that we can serve others because of the example that he gave by being the ultimate servant, sacrificing himself for us to save us. 
Um, and then the second one was because of the result of that sacrifice. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross secures our position before God. It secures our destination for eternity. And it secures our salvation when we simply trust him as our only hope, as our savior. Um, and so the message wrapped with, as a, as a result of Jesus' service towards us, our security in Christ allows us to humble ourselves and serve one another. So in order to get the most out of what we learned last week, I want to do something that my dad taught me that I actually remembered um, in how we look at scripture, which really is to look at another passage that's also talking about serving one another and try to understand the topic from a, a different perspective, kind of have a bigger understanding of how we serve. And I think this will really help us build on the, those truths and let this sink in for us. So I'm really excited. Kind of the big idea we'll be covering is that because of Christ, we're not only secure enough to serve, which was his title, but we are also empowered to serve one another. So if you haven't already turned to 1 Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be um, for most of the message um, in verse 8. And I think one of the reasons we don't see deeper growth or transformation in our lives as Christians is because we look at passages like this that have calls to love and obey and serve. Um, we look at them from the wrong perspective. Uh, whenever I hit a passage like this, I think it's really, really easy to mistake the directives or the commands or the instructions and assume they're a checklist, that they're a checklist of things I need to do in order to keep God happy with me. And it's really tempting to stack them up on the giant list of shoulds we live with every day. Um, I should do this, I should do that. And eventually it gets so high of a pile of shoulds that no one can live up to it. And these passages, if we're taking that perspective, end up just making us feel guilty, which is completely missing the intent. Um, but part of our struggle is really it's human nature to try to do things to get God to be on our side. It's how we're wired, our default. We want God to be on our side so that when we need him, we know we've built up this kind of bank of good things we've done that will obligate him to step in and do what we want him to do. We read verses like this and we think, if I love others enough, if I am hospitable enough, if I serve others enough, then God will love me, or he'll love me more, or he'll make my business more successful, or he'll make my marriage better, or he'll bail me out when I hit a tough spot. Um, and that's not the right way to think about it, but it's the way our world works. If you really take a second to stop and think, we get good grades, right, in school when we do work hard and do our assignments well. We get raises and promotions at work when we are diligent and do a good job. And we get participation trophies when we play sports. No. <laughs> okay, so participation trophies are a crock. Winners get trophies. No. <laughs> but the rest of our world structures almost everything that we do in this reciprocal way, this give and take. If you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. And we 
are so quick to bring that same give-and-take thought process with us into the way we relate to God. It's so easy to project what we think and know about how life works around us onto God and expect that he's going to relate back to us in the same way. But the Bible shows us that that's, that is not what life with God is supposed to look like at all. Um, it's, in fact, fundamentally different. And the difference is really something we talk about a lot here at Element. The difference is God's grace. Grace blows the doors off of the way we think. It's completely opposite of give and take. Because God is good and full of grace, he doesn't relate to or view us with that same give and take mentality. He has given and given and given, like we saw last week, and we don't deserve any of it. There's nothing we can do to deserve, to earn, or repay the redemption and the freedom that God offers us through Christ's work on the cross. Grace really means gift, and it's a free gift that saves us from sin. And that grace doesn't just stop at saving us, it continues to give deep into our everyday life with God. So rather than our lives be, with God being reciprocal, like the world we live in, with grace, I think the right perspective to look at our life with God is a little bit more like this, like the example of Spider-Man. So follow me for a second. Uh, remember the story of Spider-Man. So this radioactive spider bites a little boy or a boy, a teen, named Peter Parker. He discovers that this bite has given him new abilities he never had before. He can uh, stick to and climb walls. He discovers he's got this superhuman strength and agility. He can move like he never could before, and he has this spidey sense that allows him to detect danger around him that no one else is even aware of. Um, And it's a great picture. I think the Christian life actually has some strong similarities. Something external has happened to us. God has entered into our story. He's offered us salvation. He's rescued us, and he's given us new life in him. When we trust Christ as our only hope for salvation, a transformation actually occurs. It's not a radioactive spider bite. It's actually better. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this really clear. It says that God has actually made us a new creation. That transformation is so complete that we are a completely different creature. And as part of that new creation, God has put the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, inside of us to drive a continuing transformation that includes new abilities that are superhuman. These abilities aren't anything we can take credit for any more than Peter Parker can take credit for his spider bite. Um, But these abilities are actually really fun in the Christian life to enjoy and see God move through you and empower you to do things you could never dream of before. So I want to dive into this passage, kind of looking at it from that perspective and see if it takes a new depth for you. This passage isn't a to-do list of um, ways that you can serve that'll keep God happy with us or others happy with us. It's really a picture of what a life looks like that has been transformed by God as the Holy Spirit has changed them from the inside out. 
And this kind of life includes the ability to love and serve others in new ways that we could have never done before on our own. So the thesis statement in our um, few verses that we read is actually right in the middle of what we read, verse 10. Um, Verse 10, you have, um, I have the NIV here, just it's a little easier. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. The Apostle Peter is writing this letter to the early church to encourage them, and he wants to remind them that we've all been given gifts by God. The gifts that we've been given are gifts of grace, and they come in various forms. Because they're gifts of grace, that means they're unearned and they're undeserved. God's just given them. And because they're in various forms, that means they don't look the same. They're different from person to person. And these gifts are new abilities. They're new ways that we can live that don't apply to people who haven't been changed by God. So I called this sermon Empowered to Serve because of God really giving his people these new abilities that are completely impossible without his empowerment. So if you've been around church long, within those gifts are also unique spiritual gifts, which can be specific to a person or a season or a situation, um, but they still fit into the same context of loving and serving one another. And we can talk about unique spiritual gifts on another day, um, but today I want to focus on just the common gifts that are really given to all believers and are a foundation for really healthy growth in your life with God and with your relationships with one another. So let's look at this passage. What are these common gifts or abilities, or if you want to stick with the Spider-Man thing, superpowers that we've been given? Um, I think our passage today presents at least three ways that God has given us a new ability to love other people in superhuman ways, and I want to explore those. There are others throughout Scripture, if you take this kind of picture, um, and look at them, but we'll just cover these for now. If we back up to verse 8, we can find the first ability. Verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So this first new ability that we've been given is a new way of loving one another that includes forgiving freely. Every relationship we have has friction, right? And some of that is caused by sin, And the kind of love Peter's writing about that he knows is possible for the believer includes a new way to deal with sin in our relationships. If you look at that phrase again, love covers a multitude of sins. The person who's been transformed by God has a new ability to love others in a way that's willing to forgive sins of those who've sinned against them. Rather than react in our normal human response, Love covers a multitude of sins is really a picture of responding to sin in a healthy way and protecting each other from the shame of our sin becoming something that would maybe permanently identify us. Yes, we all sin, and sin really needs to be dealt with properly. In some cases, we can forgive each other um, without even any confrontation. It can be small things that, that we don't have to make a big deal about, like if I take your parking space or I zone out while I'm supposed to be listening to you or you come to my house and try to play New Kids on the Block. 
we can settle those things quietly. (laughs) But in other cases, when we have bigger hurts between us, we have to talk. We have to work together to confess our sins and make things right in order to restore and preserve the relationship and demonstrate the love that God has given us for each other. Forgiveness can be big or it can be small, and it can be easy or it can take a lot of work. But I think once we've forgiven, the superhuman part that happens is that that new love God gives us causes us to want to see each other restored to the new identity that God has given us as his beloved children. Rather than our human nature of wanting others to have to live in the shame of their sin. If we keep bringing up the sins of others and shaming them for their past, we're standing in judgment of someone that Christ has already forgiven and Christ has already declared free. I don't know what gives us the right to do that, but I know we're wired to do it because we do it all the time. Our human nature really is to hold people accountable for the way they've wronged us until we feel like they've made things right to our standards in our eyes. And even if we forgive, say, on a strictly human level, I think it often comes out as us kind of being the better person or rising above their actions um, and really sets us in in a dangerous place. And believe me, I'm still working on this, just like you are. And forgiveness isn't a once-and-done thing. Um, I have to choose to forgive every time my human nature tries to remind me of how I've been wronged. My human nature tries to tell me that I've forgiven someone, but then quickly replays the video of all the things they've done wrong so that I can assure myself I was right to want to punish them. Um, But when we have this superhuman forgiveness that comes from God we'll choose to release that right to punish. We'll stop watching that video in our minds and we'll let that person who sinned against us go. And it's supernatural. We can't do this on our own. Um, Human effort won't get us there. That's why I think this is in this passage. Um, God's changed us and now we can forgive others like Colossians 3.13 talks about. We forgive others because Christ has forgiven us freely and completely. And there's many of you in uh, this church family that have already modeled this kind of forgiveness. Um, and, And I've seen it, and it's fantastic. I think we need good examples of this. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to depend on the Holy Spirit to help us forgive. What if we were all able to do that same What if we covered those around us with forgiveness and grace and protection instead of broadcasting what they've done wrong? What if we became known as shame lifters instead of blame givers? I think that God would be glorified in that and the people around us would be even more attracted to a God who can change people that dramatically. So the first superhuman ability we've discovered in this passage is a love that forgives freely. Let's look at verse 9, where we'll see the second, which is a love that welcomes warmly. So 1 Peter 4, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Now, as soon as you hear the word hospitality, you might be thinking you aren't a good host. Or maybe you are, I don't know. But um, maybe you're not a good hostess, or maybe you have friends or relatives that put on amazing events and dinner parties, and you know you could never do what they do. And I don't think this passage is actually talking about Pinterest-worthy dinner parties. I, <laughs> if you go back to the first century, when Peter's writing, hospitality was welcoming travelers into your home, people who were traveling from one place to another and needed a place to stay for the night. Um, sometimes it would be just a night. Sometimes it'd be an extended stay that you'd welcome them into your home. And many times it'd be missionaries like Peter or Paul or Silas. Um, or sometimes it'd just be others who needed a place to stay on their journey. If we were to adapt that concept to our culture and our context, I would rephrase it to say that superhuman hospitality is really a love that creates room for others in our lives, that we are willing to make room for other people. We welcome them into our lives. We invite them to connect with us, to be genuinely included, and to have the love that God has put inside us rub off on them because they're in proximity with us. If you think about it, this kind of welcoming friendship that's open would revolutionize our culture, at least in America today, which is actually becoming more and more lonely every year. In 2006, right, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, a study by Duke and the University of Arizona um, by sociologists found that 25% of Americans back then, it's probably worse now, had no one with whom they could talk about their personal troubles or triumphs and, and as a close friend. And that's one in four, right? But when you took family members out of the survey as that close friend, it actually doubled to more than 50% of Americans have no close friends that they could share their confidences with 12 years, 13 years ago. It's got, social media really isn't making it any better or us more connected. There's actually studies that show that the amount of time you spend on social media, as that time increases, our depression and our anxiety also increase. That it's, we're going the wrong direction. And our sense of isolation goes along with that. It's even so fundamental. Healthy friendships are so fundamental to us that they affect our physical health. In 2001, the Duke University Medical Center monitored heart patients. And they found that heart disease patients doubled their survival rate if they had at least four close friends compared to patients in the same hospital that had less than four close friends. Which is just amazing um, to think that extending friendship can actually save lives. Um, but it shouldn't surprise us that we need true human connection because that's how God has wired us. And so he's given us this new ability to welcome and include others, this hospitality, because he's a God who invites and pursues everyone. Um, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God talks about how he's being patient with us because he wants everyone to come to him so that they can be included in his family. 
He doesn't want to give up on people. And I think this is why God's given us this new ability to welcome people into our lives, to make room for them. It's so they can come to know who Jesus is and enjoy life with him. Well, there's one last ability I want to explore before we wrap up. So the third is that God gives us a love that serves selflessly. And we find this described in verses 10 through 11. As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles, which could mean words, whoever speaks who one who speaks words of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So I think this new love that God's given us and empowers us with really functions at full speed, both individually and as a community, when we are serving selflessly. We're not meant to go through this life alone, and these common gifts and then those unique spiritual gifts work together to um, pull us together, to weave this rich tapestry between each of us that brings great glory to God as it unfolds. So a superhuman love that serves selflessly shows itself in at least two ways, and we'll just look at them quickly. The first one is there's a readiness to share. When God gives us this desire to serve selflessly, it comes with a readiness to share. When we really get it, when we understand how much God has given us um, in our redemption in Christ, but in so many other ways, there's this readiness to want to share the other gifts that he gives to us with the people around us. And I think that's why verse 11 tells us, as each of you has received a gift, it's reminding us, you've gotten these great gifts. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The idea is that God's given us these gifts, and they might be different than mine. They will be different, but they're for the same purpose, to serve others. Romans 12 talks about this in verses 4 and 5. It actually goes as far as saying that each one of us as believers belongs to each other, including your gifts. Your gifts belong to me, and my gifts belong to you. So if you know that the person next to you got a really good Christmas present, you can kind of lean over and say, that gift's mine. I don't think God's gifts work quite like that, but um, they're not really something you can pass around, but God's design is that our gifts complement each other. And I need the gifts that you have just as much as you need the gifts that God has given to me. We work together to complement each other by serving each other with the gifts God has given to us. And I like this part. God actually intends to teach us and show us aspects of his grace as we put these gifts to use to serve and help each other. If you or I stay on the sidelines and kind of keep our gifts to ourselves, then the rest of us will miss out on the gifts God intended for us all to enjoy, but also on the aspect of grace that is demonstrated and displayed through that gift being played out in your life. And it would be sad to miss out on that and to not see that aspect that God wanted to share with us. So the second piece of serving selflessly is that there is also just a deep recognition of God's empowerment. 
Um, can you imagine how cruel it would be if God had painted this picture of life with him being so amazing and being able to do all these great things, having such great freedom, but didn't give us the ability to actually live that way? It would be awful. We would be frustrated constantly. And yet, I think we actually live in that place for our, our, through our own fault. I think that we feel that same frustration sometimes when we try to live up to these commands in our own strength. When we try to do and love this way, but we don't depend on God to help us get there. Um, Peter says it this way. He says that if anyone, in verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. We can't serve each other in our own strength and have it not be exhausting and frustrating because we need God's help to serve at this kind of level. So I think that really helps kind of pull it all together. Um, And I think it's great to remember that God has promised to give us the strength that we need. He's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to exhibit this kind of superhuman love. There's some protection built in too. When we recognize that God's the one who's empowering us to love and serve in these special ways, it keeps us humble and it keeps us depending on God each step of the way. And we're quick. We're quick to give God credit, to recognize he's given us these new abilities and whatever comes out of them is really because he's doing the work. Whatever wisdom we have is really because he has been renewing our minds. So a love that serves selflessly will always point back to God instead of ourselves, point back to him as the one who ultimately gets the credit because he's the true source of these gifts. And that's why I think Peter ends our passage with pointing back to God, showing us it's so important for us to use these gifts the right way. He says it this way, in order that in everything God may be glorified, through Jesus Christ. Well, hopefully now you can look at this passage and other passages that are similar with kind of a new perspective. Instead of a to-do list, look at them as a picture of what your new transformed life could look like. It's kind of like you've got a spidey suit hanging over in the corner that reminds you of what life with God really is like. And you can choose to enter into that or not. Um, these gifts and these abilities are already yours. Even if God is continuing to mature them in you, they're there. They're ready to be put into action. And you can trust God will give you the strength you need to actually live this way. You can also trust that God is eager to display this kind of love through you so that the rest of the world can experience how incredible he really, really is. I'd like to have the band come up. Um, We're going to take communion together during the next few songs. And communion is just a great reminder of our dependence on God. We've got tables up here. You can come during any of the songs and partake. Communion is really when we remember that God has done everything for us, that he has sacrificed Christ on the cross to pay for our sins and to purchase this new life for us. And so we break a cracker and we dip it in the wine or the grape juice as a reminder that Jesus' body was broken when he was crucified on the 
cross. And we take that cracker and we dip it in the wine or the grape juice because the, the juice represents Christ's blood, which was shed for us. And that was the payment that was required to set us right with God because of our sin. And so as you reflect on communion, I just want to encourage you to remember your dependence on him for your salvation, but also for these supernatural gifts. And if you need someone to pray with you today, there will be deacons and they'll be in the back who would love to just take some time and hear you, pray with you. And we also have offering boxes on the sides of the room that you are welcome to put something in there. We don't pass a plate or ask for donations. We respond to God for what he's given us by returning some of what he's given that way. Well, before the band uh, takes us into the next song, I want to leave you with three really simple action steps. Um, The first one is just write down the name of someone, if you have the handout. If you don't, you know, type it in your phone. I don't know. But write down the name of someone that you need to show forgiveness. Maybe as we were talking about this, God brought someone to mind. Um, And then pray about how you can move forward in that situation. Um, The second one is write down the name of someone that you could invite into your life, that you could create room for, as maybe we were talking about that, God brought somebody to mind that is in your circle. And then the third is just what gifts or abilities do you have that maybe are still on the sidelines? Write down one way you could serve others using your gifts um, and maybe see if there's a way to put that into play in the next week or two. I think it'd be amazing if we all did that. We would see tremendous change, even in this community, but also in all the people that are connected to us throughout our lives. Let's pray together as we continue in worship. God, we are just so grateful that you are good and that you have such extravagant grace that you have poured out on us. We don't deserve any of this, and we are so unable to live like this without your help. We are truly desperate for you to come through. And yet we're grateful for the promises you've shown us. Pray you just mature each of us in these areas. Help us to grow into um, the men and women you want us to be and that you have empowered us to be. Show us, God, where we're, where we're trying to do things on our own instead of depending on you. And I pray you'd help us to shift so that we can um, align with you and depend on you for... Um, everything that we need. We know that nothing good is possible without you working through us. God, I just pray you would be glorified in everything that we do, um, whether it's serving or anything else this week. I just pray you would be honored and pray that you would be glorified by our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.